Let's face it, running a construction company can be chaotic. As business owners, we wear a lot of hats and we're constantly putting out fires. Luckily, there's a way to work simpler with Build a Trend. I'm a huge advocate for using technology to help run AFT, and Build a Trend is one of the most crucial tools I rely on to keep me on top of every detail. Built just for home builders and remodelers, this is an easy-to-use platform that helps manage all aspects of my business. My team's been using Build-A-Trend's project management platform for the last five years, and we love that they're always improving and adding new features to make our lives easier. This is something that we've really tried to take on internally to find ways to improve our system every day. Build-A-Trend just released a full set of financial services, added new tools like Takeoff to make estimates more accurate, and launched a total rebrand with a new mission to help change the future of construction, and we are on board. To learn more about how Build-A-Trend can help calm the chaos in your construction business, visit buildatrend.com backslash AFT. When you schedule a demo, you'll receive an exclusive 60-day money-back guarantee only available to my podcast listeners. I'm following Build-A-Trend into the future in construction. Come on board with us. I discovered my goal in life is to inspire the celebration of craft. What do I mean when I say that? When I get to stand back and look at something I've built, whether it's my kids' play fort, whether it's a beautiful custom kitchen, and when you stand back and you get goosebumps staring at that, and you can just kind of take it in for 10 or 15 minutes, just that's craftsmanship at its finest to me. I want to share that message with other people in my life. Now, welcome to the Brad Levitt Podcast. Today, we have Adam McKee on with us. Welcome, Adam. Hi, Brad. This has been long overdue. Adam is owner and vision. I, I should call you visionary, right? Of contemporary woods. Sure. And I don't know. Yeah. I, well, let's, I mean, the reality is as a business owner, I mean, you should be the visionary. So I think that title plays a good role, especially when you're creative, such as yourself, you know, with the product that you, um, that you do for us, you know? Yeah. It's important. I think I learned that a few years ago. It's like, we're not big enough to be, a, I'm not a CEO. Let's not put that title on there. You know, like, sure. I'm president on paper, but you know, I got to have paved the road for where we're going. I, I have to start telling people, hey, this is where we want to be. This is so exciting to be here. Imagine where we'll be in a year or two or three if we take these small steps. So I think that's where the title kind of comes from. Well, I think we could go a few different directions. I mean, when you think of visionary, as you mentioned, I mean, there's a huge part to being a su- successful op- operator, entrepreneur. You need to be a good visionary. But maybe let me ask you this, because you work with clients. Because, I mean, they, I'm, I'm sure they vary from all the clients you work with. How does their vision, when you think about the client vision, how does that impact your process? Because with a creator such as yourself and a product that you're presenting to them, their vision, their understanding has a lot to do with your process. Uh, that's a great question. So I I try to ask questions at the start, you know, and we try to take notes and we've started recording a lot of our conversation with our clients. We'll tell them, hey, we're going to record this meeting. So if we have notes, we use Otter and, and other things to uh, transcribe those. So when we're going back to the drawings and we're going back to the things where it's like, Oh, that little detail they said, that little sentence that they said right before we left, that was the key nugget. Um, we had somebody who said, uh, this is the collection of my life. You know, they have this crystal collection. They wanted to display it. Some of the questions I, I try to ask to prompt those answers is how will you, how will you measure the success of this project? And a lot of times that kind of gives them a pause, especially in construction you know where we're doing the custom cabinets they've had 10 or 20 other subcontractors they've met with and not a lot of people are asking that yet and so they kind of usually slow down like hmm what do you mean by that and well like you know well i want a, a beautiful cabinet that's durable for my young kids oh well that's a lot different than uh well i have this you know fancy crystal collection that you know no one ever comes and you know 
knocks around. So, um, yeah, trying to get to the root, you know, it's the communication again. That's the thing that plagues us all in, in construction. Uh, communication definitely plagues us all. I can relate to that. My, uh, what's interesting when you say to the client, how do you measure success? Um, I can't say I've interviewed anybody that's asked that at, you know, the conception at the beginning of the project, you know, what do the clients typically say to you when you ask that question? Um, a lot of them give me a, a small laundry list, like two or three statements. They're like a guy the other day, we haven't done the project for, but I was asking him in the bidding phase because he's getting a competitive bid. We haven't worked with him before. So we're going to put our neck out there a little bit and see if we can start work with him. And, and he says, uh, um, he goes, well, I just want it to be durable and look beautiful. But he's a man of a few words. So you kind of have to interpret that a little bit more. Whereas another client the other day said, oh, this has been an arduous process. We're frustrated with everybody up to this point. You're the first person that's slow down to ask us. And we want it done right the first time. And they just paused and kind of looked at us like, we just want it done right the first time. So, you know, we only have so much rope, so to speak. But if we know that going into it, we can put that on the top of our job folder and say, hey, this is the number one aspect. When we have something come in damaged or we, we have a failure or this or that, when we can call them right away and say, hey, this is not great, blah, blah, blah. This is what happened. Here's what we're doing to resolve this. But we know it's important to do it right the first time. And we know if we slow down now and we do it right now, we won't be having the uh, even worse conversation in two months when you're ready to string us up and say, we're so frustrated with this, you know? It's funny you say that because um, I'm, I'm sure Nick would be fine saying this. He reminded me, Nick with NS Builders, um, <clears throat> I've been with him. He shared this story a few times where he had a client that's like, whatever you do, just don't have like a leak from the fire sprinklers right throughout the build. <laughs> and then, sure enough, there's just like this, uh, there was something that came up, right? And um you know, I'll, I'll let him share that story sometime when I have him back on the podcast. But to your point, what's interesting about the measure of success, when you ask the client and they say, hey, I just want it done right the first time, I'd imagine for you, as you kind of alluded to, the year process is going to be a little bit more, I don't want to say accurate, because it's not like you're inaccurate in the past, but you'd be a little bit more focused on it, right? There's something that's going to take a little bit more focus, if you will, as a company. And so as you were sharing that, I was thinking, you know, for me, in the sales pitch, when I start a project, it'd be interesting to ask my, my clients that question because most of my bills are typically two years, let's say. It's a long process. There's a lot of ups and downs, a lot of emotions. Um, and so as I think about that, the reality is that could go a lot of different ways, but at least I'd understand what are the client's goals. You know, it's one thing to understand pricing and design and aesthetic and all the little elements, but at the core of it, there's probably something that they're really looking to get out of it. And if we can get that in the beginning process, I'd imagine that just gives you so much more of an advantage as a builder, contractor, subcontractor, as you've alluded to, Adam. Yeah, I mean, we're still failing forward, as we say every day. You know, we, we still are making mistakes and, and learning from them. But yeah, that's the goal is to keep practicing and building this muscle. So on that point, I would like to kind of flip the script on you a little bit and say, yeah. I think some of the stuff you've been pushing for a while now is is you if I remember it, you like to give like, here's where things will get ugly. Here's what will happen during this part of the process. You, you do a lot of work of setting expectations. Oh, after framing, you think that, you know, it's going to go great, but really it's this long trench of hard work. Uh, I think that's also something that we want to continue doing. It's like, okay, yeah, we did the designs. Great. We did a great design, you know, review meeting. We, we ordered stuff. It's great. And then by the way, this X amount of time frame 
this usually comes up and just be aware. So we want to kind of learn from what you're, you know, setting forth as an example. So, yeah, I think to that point, Adam, it's interesting. I, you know, there's a builder here, Rod Collum with Collum Homes, and he said they have an emotional roller coaster. And I went to him and said, okay, talk to me about this emotional roller coaster. And it was this chart that they had created just based on customer feedback and experience. You know, he's been building here. He's an icon here in Phoenix and essentially he's, um, you know, finishing his career and he's had an incredible career, but he's had these, you know, through his 40 years of building, he's understood the ups and downs. And so that's something we've modified. And, and I think it's even as simple as what we've done is, you know, throughout the build process, we, you know, we have a really good team. And so we find out when these emotional, um, pulls are coming from the client, right. Um, when these challenges are coming up and I'll give, I'll give one little example. So here in Arizona, when we do a project, we have to register with the state, right. That we're doing it. So we have to file what's called a pre-lean, which notifies the state, Hey, we're doing the project for Adam McKee and here we go. Well, in the past, you know, we'd file this pre-lean, get sent out to the customer for the amount of the job. And they call me and they're all upset. Like, how are we starting a job? You're already leaving me. And, you know, and so part of this is the communication that I've learned that, hey, when we're ready to send a pre-lean, I'm going to call the client, hey, that we're notifying the state. This is so that they're aware that we're doing a project. And here's the legal reasons why we do this, um, you know, to protect us as a builder and our subcontractors and suppliers. Again, it's just a notification. Nothing yeah. comes from this. And so it's those little things that you realize, hey, I can do better with that on the next go around. And as you mentioned, fell forward. And so that I don't make that mistake again. Yeah. That's kind of one of the things I wanted to talk about today in general is like, I want to do a better job of, I mean, I'm in Nebraska, you know, we're a, a smaller state. We, you know, have a smaller population. We have, you know, some bigger end builds, but it's not common for us to have $10 million homes being built all the time. And I think there's, I get this feeling that there's a lot of people around the country that are maybe in a similar situation to, to me, a small business owner, maybe a million or less in revenue. And you have you know, a smaller team and it's like, I love what you do and what everybody else, you know, these figureheads in the industry are doing, raising up and talking about craft. And that's one of my goals in my life. I've discovered after reading, um, start with why it was Simon Simic. Are you familiar with the book? Mm -hmm. Um, I love the process he went through. And for me, I discovered my goal in life is to inspire the celebration of craft. So what do I mean when I say that? Uh, You know, I mean, when I get to stand back and look at something I've built, whether it's my kids play for it, whether it's a beautiful custom kitchen or whether it's even just like a a beautiful fix in the shop, a great, you know, uh, organization tool, that's craftsmanship at its finest to me. And when you stand back and you get goosebumps staring at that and you can just kind of take it in for 10 or 15 minutes, just I don't care how big the project is. I want to share that message with other people in my life. And so I want to start, you know, the inspiring craftsmanship movement and start, you know, having other people, you know, keep talking about it, keep raising up craftsmanship to the level it can be and putting more pride in it. I think this movement in the last 10 or 20 years to get more people in the crafts and to get more people, you know, choosing this as a career, I think it's all great. But once you get in it, it's really hard. It's really easy, I should say, to get lost and get, especially if you're an entrepreneur, you know, you know, the struggles of having all your different businesses and all your, you know, different ups and downs of personal and, you know, business partners and everything else. It's really easy to get lost in the, uh, like, eth- you know, not ethos, but the ethereal, just the, the void of like, oh my God, I'm just, I'm just showing up and doing it. And so, um, 
that's kind of some of the stuff I want to talk to me about today well, too. I, yeah, oh. and I want to build on that because you you mentioned that um, you know one of your focuses, right? When you talk about quality in the craft, and you know that's been a huge change. I think social media has been a huge part of that, right? Because we can showcase things, and there are clients that gravitate to that, right? And I remember listening to this is years back, and um, all of us struggle in our markets. I mean, the reality is, I think anyone could relate that. Even in my market, you know, there's struggles on price to cost to execution and all these different things, right? To get yeah. these projects to completion. But at the core, it's interesting that the salesperson that I was listening to, they said, you know, someone's complaining, saying, well, my market, you know, everything's price driven. Like it's all costs. Yeah. Like it just comes down to the bottom number. And essentially, they turned to him and looked and said, well, if cost is your only variable, you have nothing else to offer, right? And essentially, at the core of it, it's like, okay, well, how do you get around costs? Some ways you can't, right? There's going to be some clients, sure. some projects, you're not getting around it. But other things, Adam, well, okay, costs, let's put this aside for a minute, but how am I communicating, to your point, quality and execution? How yeah. am I doing it right the first time? Um, durable, right? Is that part of it? For me as a builder, I look at this, what's the, we just started this conversation, communication is a huge part of our failures as builders. So here's how I communicate as a builder. Here's how my team communicates. Here's what I expect from them and from us. Here's what you get when you sign with AFT. Here's, um, you know, how we bid your project. Here's, and, and so there's these different layers of, here's the add-ons, right, of why we do it, how we do it, the systems, the organization, the document control. And then, yeah, price is still a huge factor with every client. Like, I'm not going to act like I sit here across the table and it never comes up. But at least there's enough layers of items there that there's some assurities and they can see value. And that's the point is you're getting from cost to value. Yeah, I love that. It's everybody has a budget. You've heard that a million times, but I don't care who you are. Everybody has a budget, you know. So let's let's not... Uh... How does budget, well, let me ask you this, because in your market, being in Nebraska, I mean, again, you had a flexibility work in many locations because you have expertise, Adam. But I, I, I would imagine that budget, timeline, it plays a role in the jobs you win, the jobs you contract under. Um, how have you worked around just budget and timeline, you know, to be successful and get the jobs that you're achieving? So today? we're trying to do um, like the best quality we can. Our goal as a business, our, our mission as a business is to be the foremost maker in the region. So we want to not only, you know, cut and sand and, and, you know, make everything great, but we want to finish too. Like in our market, a lot of cabinets and higher end homes go in unfinished and they get finished in place. And I don't want to start a debate about whether that's good or bad, but I believe we can do better results my opinion in our shop so we wanted to you know start to finish everything pre-finished and it gets complex when you're trying to hide fasteners and hide nails and hide all these things in in your build um, but trying to change that perception with some people it, you don't necessarily want to change their mind because you can't really change other people but trying to find the people that value that and kind of looking under rocks where people haven't looked before and instead of trying to go after the same builders the other competitions going after you know trying to find newer upcoming builders or people that want that level, but they've never got it before. Or, you know, it's the same thing when you're prospecting, you're doing 10, you know, cold calls, you know, nine of them are going to be a dead end. And one of them's going to be that kind of, Oh yeah, you do what you want to go where, what do you want to do? Um, so I think that's also for us niching down and trying to find that we're still working on that. I don't really feel like we've 
um, fulfilled our capacity at all on working with builders yet that really value that, you know, start to finish all everything pre-finished before it shows to the job site. And so, uh, why is that? Do you have any reason why they're pushed back? You know, I think it's just been easier or faster or I, I don't know. I haven't really interviewed all the builders yet, but they all, oh, we always do it like this. <laughs> okay. Like, is that because the finishes 20 years ago were crap or there wasn't as much, you know, uh, or the shop you always worked with didn't have that guy in the finish room. So they just avoided it or it's easier to cover up the mistakes or the crown molding looks seamless when you, you know, I, I don't know what the reasons are, but uh, I can tell you it doesn't have to be that way. Nothing has to be that way. You know, it's just per, our perception. It's my favorite line. This is how I've been doing it forever, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 I've always done it this way. Yeah. <laughs> just when I hear that, you just shake your head. Um, as you're looking at your ideal client coming back to this though, um, I would imagine that as a brand, I mean, I've seen this Adam from afar, but I mean, you're pushing, as you mentioned, to get to the next level, to do these projects and have the quality and execution is, you know, and, and there are limiting factors. I think a lot of people listening can relate that, Hey, I'm in a market that's maybe limiting to that, to my sure. expertise or what I offer. How, how do you branch past that? Or even more, as you think about your ideal client, is it the retail customer? Is it a GC? Is it maybe a GC outside of Omaha? Yeah, totally. So we're in Lincoln. And Lincoln's 300,000 people. Omaha's an hour away, and yeah. Omaha's 750, 800,000 people. So recently, we've been asking people in Des Moines and in Kansas City because they're big, those are bigger markets. And it's like, if you're going to drive an hour, what's the difference between driving an hour and two and a half hours? You know, as long as you still can get back by the end of the day. And so, yeah, that's something we've definitely been talking to uh, different people. And I, I heard somebody in Des Moines the other day, a designer I was speaking with, she says. Oh, the market here is tough. We've got a lot of good old boys and, you know, uh, no one really wants to break the the bounds of how they've been doing it. And so it, and it, it's yet again, like I'm a huge learner. I've, I've been on path for four or five years now of reading books. I love Mike McAllitz's work, the pumpkin plan and all these great books about niching down. And it's like, you can do the same amount of work, say it's a million dollars round numbers, you know, and say that's uh, 50 projects, 50 $20,000 projects, or you can do 10 $100,000 projects, but you, you know, you could be just as profitable with the 10 $100,000 projects as the 50 $20,000 projects. It's just like what client you're working for and what, you know, we're still, we're still too varied on what we do. We, we kind of do everything. Uh, we don't do laminate cabinets, but we do a lot of whatever custom thing the designer draws. And so yet again, on that path of like, okay, this is where we want to go. This is our vision and we want to get there. How do we niche down as long we go and learn and fail forward? Um, I'm kind of dancing around the answer to your question, but <laughs> it's, it's definitely possible uh, to, you know, if you look at a larger geographic area to work with people that value your craft. You know? This episode is brought to you by Pella Windows. When it comes to building homes at AFT, almost every project has Pella Windows. And they've been just an incredible partner of ours. And locally, Sammy and Adam, they are not only amazing business partners behind us, but they are super close friends. And I speak on the podcast all the time about the importance of relationships, right? Relationships with our customers, with our vendors, with our suppliers. Because at the end of the day, I'm only as good as those that help our brand and assist us in our projects to, to take it from the ground up all the way to completion. And if we didn't have partners such as Pella, there's no way we'd be who we are today. Over the years, we've built this amazing relationship. When we call them or email them, they respond. They're quick. They're, their company culture, their integrity, their honesty 
You know, they are always there to do what's right for us and the customer. They can do anything from small replacement projects to large custom homes and even multi-million dollar commercial projects. And also, when you think about their product line, they can do ultra-contemporary, historical preservation, and large traditional projects. So for anyone, any scale, any size, they're the ones to call. They're here local. You know, they have an amazing Instagram. Make sure and give them a follow to see what they're doing. So if you need windows and doors, give Sammy and Adam a call. We stand behind Pella. We love what they do, their culture, their brand, and especially their quality. And if you want to learn more about Pella Windows, check our show notes. We'll have everything tagged there so you can give them a follow and have their contact information to reach out. Well, I think at the core of it, you you answered it, right? The core of the question is you said, hey, I'm looking for my deal client as someone that values craft, right? There's someone who's, and again, it may not be a minimum dollar value, but you are logical enough to understand that, hey, $20,000, $50,000, $10,100, well, same revenue, same bottom line. Even if maybe the profit margin is the same, is my stress level a little bit better working with 10 as opposed to 20, right? Is my lifestyle a little bit better? Is the lifestyle of my team? And so there are these elements in there. um, And then understanding, okay, well, how do I market to that? How do I attract that? And and essentially you're doing that, reaching out to other markets. And, you know, I know you're super active. And um, when when you've had that first call, though, when you've had that success, I mean, that deal client, you're like, that was a great project. As you look back in your past, Adam, what, what is it that changed? How did you get that job? What is it that stood out to that client? That's a great question. We were just doing project auditing, cost auditing, just a couple hours ago this morning. So um, we, we looked at the ones, the failures, and we're like, oh, man, you know, we need to do better than this. But we also looked at the winners and said, what was right? Well, we on the ones that went right, we knew our, our limitations. So we don't build everything from scratch. We a lot of times will order a drawer box or order this custom door profile because I'm not going to keep a thousand different cutters in stock just to do one a year or one every five years. So knowing, and I think there's a lot of pride that people can mistakenly, you know, harbor like, Oh, I have to do this from scratch. I have to build the house from the digging the hole to the, you know, the shingle on top. Well, that's great mindset for 1920, but you know, 2020, we have different, you know, capabilities. And so, yeah, the wins for us have been leveraging what we're good at and we want to innovate around communication. We, we know from interviewing clients, interviewing builders, communication's awful and we're not superb at it yet. We're not a market leader, but we want to be in touch with the client once a week through the whole process. And when we're on the job site, we want to be in touch with them every day. And we want to be proactive with those uh, fail forward moments. And so, yeah, I I think uh, I've I've lost the answer to your question. Let me ask you this, because I mean, you speak about communication and you're saying, you know, over communicate the customer. What does that look like for you as, as we're listening and trying to apply that internally, all of us? And, and the reason I ask that is because I've worked with a lot of cabinet companies, right, and trim companies and woodwork companies here in Phoenix. And the ones that excel, look, they understand that as a GC, there's there's a lot of things we're balancing, right? And so when I look at the value add for you, Adam, like you're to come in, you know, this is someone that says, hey, Brad, um, you know, when you think about field measure, appliance specs, right? Let's go do a field walk and check walls, the house is framed, where are we at? Let's do a field measure as I just alluded to. And then our cabinet drawing sign off for all the submittal sign off for all the, you know, there are some companies where I have to manage that. So I'm like, and I'm not in all these meetings, right? There's a designer and a client and the cabinet company. And so sometimes we're invited, sometimes we're not, and we're managing this process and sometimes schedules don't allow. I mean, there's a lot of variables and we're, you know, it's a big town. We're all over Phoenix. So um, for me, probably similar to you driving to Omaha, that's an hour away. I mean, I could drive from Gilbert to Queen Creek. That's an hour and 10 minutes, right? Yeah. Um, 
And so Phoenix is a big metro. So where I'm getting at though, is that some cabin companies are on it. They're like, hey, Brad, here are our milestones. We need this signed off at this date. We need to do a field walk at this date. This essentially gets into production. Here's our samples. And others were trying to balance that and guess they're operating because I don't know how every cabinet company operates. And then it comes time where, hey, super calls, we're going to be ready for in six weeks. Oh, we don't have material. We don't have a deposit. We don't have an invoice. We don't have samples. We're 18 weeks out. And like, hold on. We've been talking about this for a year. What just happened? And so, you know, walk through that maybe just from a consumer aspect, you know, Adam, you know, those workarounds that when you say over communicate with the customer. Yeah. Um, Also trying to systematize that stuff. You know, uh, the, the the communication and the schedules, I, I think at the basis, if you're so worried about the client's reaction that you're going to send them an email, you should be making a phone call, you know, or you should be walking the job site in person. Uh, we've had ups and downs with as we're trying to build better relationships with different builders and different contractors, different modelers, where we go to a job site and we would say, hey, we found this wall's three-eighths out of plumb. It's more than our quarter-inch tolerance. We suggest you either fix it or shim it. Uh, and here's an area we found of, you know, and sometimes the builder's like, stay in your own court. It'll be drywall <laughs> and we'll, we'll figure it out when we get there. It's like, okay, well, I can tell you're not like a team player. You know, you don't really want to be, you know, uh, working towards a better goal. <laughs> but I think it's trying to build a structure and systems like, okay, yeah, if it's in my head as the owner or the main project manager or the main, you know, communicator, that's great. But how do I get the next guy on our team to know, oh, I need to pick up the call a week before delivery and say, hey, we're finishing to find a quality control check in our shop. We anticipate next Monday at, uh, at nine o'clock in the morning, we'll be there to deliver the first batch of cabinets. You know, how do we build that as a system? And obviously there's tons of tools out there and CRMs and those kind of things. But yet again, you're learning different software, different programs. So in the end, it's like, what works for you? And what can you do consistently? Because we're not consistent yet. We're, we're trying to get there, but we're not hitting 100%. You know, not every one of our projects, small or large, we're hitting every communication deadline that we want to. You know, like you said, so, oh, shoot, we're, we're seven weeks out. And, you, you know, you guys want it in five weeks. Crap, we got to figure something out here. What do we miss? Oh, we missed that email. You know, well, we got to build a filter around that or we have to build better communication. So, so for you being a business owner, I mean, we could, we could speak at length about all the complications of business and it's complicated. It's difficult. And being a young person such as yourself, Adam, what makes you say, yep, I'm ready. I'm going to start a business. I don't know. I'm kind of crazy. <laughs> like, uh, so my quick backstory is I was a lifelong, lifelong craft craftsman. My grandfather was a home builder. My dad's electrician. I went to school for an associate's degree and, and got my, uh, you know, building construction degree. I was a carpenter and I thought, oh, I better become a project manager. So I uh, <laughs> you know, got my construction manager degree from the University of Nebraska and I thought I was going to work for this company and, and they decided they would rather hire uh, other people than me and that's okay. And so then I worked as a building inspector for a couple short years and that wasn't for me uh, with the you know small city politics. And uh, one day somebody called me out of the blue and said, hey, this this wood furniture shop is, is selling. So six months later, I told my pregnant wife, I said, I'm going to quit my job with benefits and insurance. I'm going to buy this <laughs> business. And so I've always had a t- t- dream or a vision to be, you know, celebrating craft with others. I, I've always wanted to be a side business of building furniture, building cabinets. It just came a lot quicker than I anticipated. 
and it's been obviously a roller coaster, but um, a little humbling. I mean, I, I love listening to your four year anniversary episode, Brad. I mean, that was, um, we don't need to get into all the, you know, your life struggles, but what I think what's, <laughs> there's been a what, lot, there's probably more than I said, but <laughs> yeah. What's, it, yeah. What's important is remember, it's like, there's always someone that has it worse than you. You know, you say, Oh, I wish I wasn't this in debt, or I wish I had more tools, or I wish I had, you know, more jobs or whatever. There's always somebody that's worse than you. And so trying to put that in perspective and remain positive. I mean, yesterday was our 11th year of owning this business. And I can tell you that we're not anywhere close to where I want to be, you know, from a, a savings or from a debt pay down or from a, a client bandwidth or from the projects we've, you know, done or completed. Uh, you know, we're single percentage points in my head versus tens of percentage points. So uh, I think being patient and trying to yet again, bring others up with our craft is probably where my passion comes from. I mean, our, our company values are quality, teamwork, and improvement. Quality because the company was founded on quality. Quality because I believe in quality and, and it's core to me. It's immutable to me. It's un, unchanging. Uh, teamwork because, you know, we all have our own little home shops. We could be uh, pumping out one cabinet a week, all of us, but together as a team, we could pump out a lot more uh, as a team and we could do a lot more. We can raise each other up. And then improvement, I started reading the Two Second Lean book by Paul Akers about five years ago. Completely changed my life. I really found something that resonated. And from there, I read another hundred books in the last five years of, you know, great improvements and great, uh, you know, mental and, and uh, you know, emotional and, and leadership improvements. So I think it's core in me that I want to be a leader. I want to lead a, a team of craftsmen that build something beautiful. I love that you talked about perspective, though, because it reminds me of one of my favorite quotes as you're speaking about that. It's, I complained because I had no shoes until I saw a man that had no feet. And I think the reality is so many of us, um, you know, we have challenges, we have setbacks, even in business, right? I mean, as much as people look from far, like there's like this morning before you and I got on, I, I had just to be open. We had a podcast scheduled for this morning, Adam and I, and I pushed it back to afternoon. And the reason being, there was a an item that came up that I had to be at in the field. I knew about there was an issue we're dealing with. And these things happen as business owners. And, um, you know, I think over time, you know, you become a little bit more understanding of perspective and optimism and, but being realistic too. Yeah. And for you, Adam, as you look at this, I mean, 11 year journey, especially you had taken the college degree route, you had had experience as a PM, you know, your dad's electrician, mine was too. Um, as you look back 11 years now as a business owner, what process would you have implemented sooner? The dashboards way sooner. We're just, you know, implementing them now um, in the last year or so. I think dashboards also getting my head out of the sand. <laughs> what do you mean my head I out mean, of the sand? I mean, I knew things were wrong in the first six months or first year or two, you know, cash flow, sales, debt, you know, paying people on time, you know, scheduling projects, doing the right projects for the right clients. And I had a, a coach at the time. He was fine, you know, but um, I think I idled too long. And I think some of it was, was maturity, you know. Um, I was 27 at the time when I bought the business and I thought I knew it all. Um, but I, if I want, I think we don't need to be alone. We just don't need to be alone. We, we can build a network. We can 
be around other people. Um, you know, for me, I, I got into epigenetics about a year ago. It's still, I'm only scratching the surface, but kind of turning and tur- turning on and off, you know, genetic traits that could make us more successful or, or more prone to um, being better. And, uh, you know, stu- in the last two or three years, I've done pretty intensive coaching and, and group coaching and uh, masterminds and peer advisory groups. And that's been a huge change. I, I'm so much better of a person leader than I was three years ago, but we haven't really paved the road with that yet. We, we've filled the gas tank, but now we need to implement that. And something that I want to do in my life is, is really prove that entrepreneurs can be sexful, successful. We, we, we know all the, the, the numbers of, you know, every five, every, in five years, so many people fail and 10 years, so many people fail. And, and even if you make it a 10 year mark, you're only, you know, only 12% are profitable. Or I don't know. I'm just making up the numbers, but it's a very minority. Um, I loved your guest, Brad, the other day, uh, Dominic Rubino. Uh-huh. Rubino. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he said in there and it's just, just rung my bell. He says, seeing people change the legacy of their last name. For me, I was like, Oh my God, because that's how my family is. I mean, even though my dad's a great electrician, my grandfather was a good home builder, built a lot of starter homes, a lot of new families got their first home with him for, you know, 2000 homes or a 50 year career. He died penniless in a wheelchair in a nursing home after a stroke, you know? And it's like my other grandfather recently died, 99 years old, built a great business, helped me start my business financially. And, uh, was there, you know, business-wise, but didn't want to take time off for his family as much. And he was a good guy, but he didn't want to go on vacation, even though he was 70 years old, you know? And so it's like, how do we take this genetic history that we have and combine the best of all the worlds and, you know, build something that we can change our legacy of our last name instead of, oh, those McKees, they don't know how to run a business, you know? (laughs) How do we, how do we flip the script? How do we, build each other up instead of tearing each other down. So I love that you share that because I, I don't want to say it's low hanging fruit because it's not, it's really difficult. And I think this is the hardest thing that gets, you know, us to the next level. I think about as you're sharing your process, you know, about, you know, looking back about having, you know, everything up on the board and addressing the difficult things early and not putting them off and not having blinders. Right. A lot of us can do that because it's, you're visionary. I mean, there's things you're really talented at, Adam, and it's easy to gravitate towards what we're talented at. It's really hard to do the hard things. It's really hard to do the things that maybe we're not talented or good at. And as a business owner today, there's so many opportunities, right? As you mentioned, there's masterminds and coaches and self-help and YouTube videos and podcasts and all these different things that, you know, there's so much information that maybe we put off or we're too busy for. And Every time I've heard someone say too busy, I remember 15 years ago, there was someone I was listening to them speak and they said, and I remember they asked me a question. I said, Brad, if I told you right now, if I'd give you a million dollars, would you go send out this email? And I'd be like, yeah, I'll go send an email for a million dollars. <laughs> and he's all, would you be too busy? And it's essentially, he was saying that, you know, a lot of us say I'm too busy to do this, but if someone's to say, I'd pay you a million dollars to do this, you know, Adam, read this book, I'll pay you a million. Well, Without that money hanging out there, would you do it just to do it? Would you make time for it? We make, we prioritize things that we want to prioritize and we can always adjust that prioritization if we have the goal in mind and the focus in mind, especially as business owners. Yeah, it's, it's, 
it, as you're saying this, it reminds me of, you know, just pulling my head out of the sand. It's like, you're, you're working to build a muscle, you know, you're building, you have to break tissue to build the muscle. You have to build up scars. And sometimes it's just easier to go out and swing the hammer and be like, Oh, whatever. I'll just answer those emails later. I'll just answer, you know, the phone calls and the, the 12 voicemails that are bouncing on my phone. I'll just answer them later. Cause I'd rather just take a mental load off and swing the hammer, but you're just making it so much worse, you know? So I think to answer that is some of it's just maturity, you know, you have to grow. And well, I, th I think growth is part of that, Adam, as you mentioned. And, and part of that too is um, there's an understanding that a lot of us too, we try to do everything ourselves. And I know as entrepreneurs, you're kind of built that way, like headstrong, I'm going to do it. No one's going to do it as good as me may not even be true, but you may think that. But at the end of the day, what I realized is sometimes I would take things on my plate that I wasn't the best at. I have people that are way better than me yeah. in the organization. And case in point, you know, I, I met with my team on a capacity report and something that's new for us, essentially what you alluded to is the metrics, right? That it's one thing you have this, you know, your sales chart coming in, but we do a capacity report. And what that means is we have an entire graph that's built out. We have this whole spreadsheet that's built out that shows all the employees of AFT, what jobs are running, which ones are upcoming. And it really helps us identify, do people have too much on their plate? Are they too busy? Um, can, can they manage everything there? And then what's upcoming? Do we have this tsunami coming and we prepared for? Do we need to hire? And so the capacity report really allows us at a really in-depth in level, understand the volume we can handle and are we handling it and what's coming up the pipeline. And in that's the awesome. past, I would, what's that? I said, you that's know? awesome, yeah. Yeah, I'll share it with you. I mean, Adam, just bring yeah. me after this and I'll share it with you. Um, even anyone else that's listening, I'm, you can reach out anytime. You know, I'm happy to share this stuff. And so, you know, that capacity chart also shows the jobs, you know, the um, costs included and what the cost of my people are. And so we really understand kind of where we are health-wise too as a company. The reason I bring it up is because in the past, on my own, I would update the capacity report. I'm trying to forecast. And now I'm like, why am I doing it all myself? I have Spencer and Adam who are essentially running a lot of operation and us three can sit down and we can go through this and we can speak to those, you know, at each hierarchy level. And now we go through this together and we really have a good strategy on, Hey, we're always interviewing, sometimes hiring, but now we, we know exactly when and why and who we need to target to the firm. How long did it take you to get to this point. I mean, when did you start doing the capacity graph? Well, um, cheat sheet is that a couple of years ago, I was at my builder 20 conference and one of the builders in Sun Valley, Idaho had one, they do a capacity report and they had this incredible graph and they showed it's all color coded. So each super had their color, right. And what jobs are running. And then it showed the duration of the project. And so it applies to you making your product too, Adam, that you can understand who's working on what and the duration, the designers and whatever else. And so it, it forecasts that. And then we essentially take that, we took that, we modified it and we added values and we added monthly costs for each employee and other things, you know, that we run. And so that we know our true costs. And now we can look at that quick. I can look at that quickly and say, we're in great shape as a company. We're, or <laughs> we have a tsunami coming and we're not ready for it. And we better either figure it out really quick. And, and so it's, it's, a, it's one of those KPIs, those key performance indicators that we have now in our organization that allows us to really track the, the mental health, the capability, the bandwidth of us and our employees. That's incredible. Yeah. It's those little, those little metrics that, you know, I don't know, how many hours did it take you to implement that? 
Yeah, it takes time. And I think this is the biggest issue is that um, it goes back to priority, right? That we we're talking about that um, it's really easy to have the phone ringing or blinking with a voicemail. It's really easy to, you know, and I try to respond really fast. I think those that know me know I respond really quick, um, but it's really easy to get sidetracked with other things. But the problem is, you know, we could all go back to the Stephen R. Covey, sharpen your saw, you know, we've all heard that, but you know, the capacity report, had I done this 10 years ago, you know, when I started, I, I would just be in a better position to know, are we training? You know, are we bringing yeah. people in properly? Because now at the capacity report, we look today and we're like, we got to make this higher. We need to hire it now so that we have two to three months of training and they can actually be integrated into the organization. And now they can actually be successful and they can want to stay here and we can have good company culture. And so it really hits on all these different levels if we're tracking that. And so you just realize that there's no sooner time than today and you should be focusing on your business, not just in your business. That's really cool. Yeah. That's a huge win. What do you do to celebrate wins like this, Brad? Uh, that's a good question. So we, um, we're going to have a couple things. So now that we know where we're at, a big thing for me is communicating it to everybody else. And so next a week from today, is our production meeting and we're going to do like a state of the union. So I let them all know like any questions open for them. Right. So a lot of them are preparing questions. We're going to go through backlog and future and 2024 and goals. And for me, it's really big that, um, I've seen with our employees, I try to update them all the time, a couple times a month, maybe every week on a group text. Hey, here's some wins we've had as a company. Here's some good things on the horizon. Here's some updates. Like one thing I probably can't share here, but we just got a notification on a really cool thing that, is going to be featured on AFT coming up. And so I'll let my team know because they're part of that. And it just gives them that little boost when they're dealing with the day-to-day -day. hardships of being in construction is really tough. And then we're going to do, you know, we do our holiday party in January because, you know, the holidays can be pretty busy for everybody. So we always do it in January at a nice steakhouse here, Steak 44. But um, in November, we run it out of suite at the Suns game. So we're going to take everybody. We're going to go to Suns game because they're supposed to be oh, pretty cool. good this year. So we'll do that and we'll have just some off time. But but going back to your point, with those wins, we share them. You know, when when there's a kudos for a suit, like a recently we had a project that we were awarded and it was specifically because the super had been interviewed, was so prepared. They had, they pulled out their iPad, they had punch list and schedule and blue beam and everything overlaid i mean the documentation was unbelievable the client's like done hire so of course we get some props to that super and send out to the group and you know the team behind it and i think it's really big to just give you know for lack of a better word an attaboy right to the men and women that are in our organization for all that they do yeah it's incredible because how you're, about you uh we we talk about wins daily so we have a morning huddle for five minutes and then a, a longer end of day meeting um, for 15 minutes. And, you know, and what was a win from today? What are you most proud of? Uh, what are you, what's next? What, what do you have left to build? And we only have seven guys in our shop and three guys in our office. So uh, we're not a huge team, so we can get together. Uh, we're usually all in the, uh, in the shop anyway. So we get together and um, we also try to do um, like, uh, you know, occasional you know, celebrations of birthdays and other things. We're not as great culture wise as I'd like to be. Um, we don't go out to steakhouses yet as a, as a team, but uh, I think the small things matter too. And just like you said, daily uh, high fives, a big thing in our shop. I should mention that like I have a high five culture, like 
awesome. How's it going? What's you win? Like, you know, just a quick, just quick pulse of like, Hey, this is, this is going right. Let's make more of this. So from you as a company, I mean, what have you done to enhance culture? Like if you look at this today, as opposed to 11 years ago, what does the company culture look like? A lot more honest, a lot more transparent, a lot more, um, like we have a, um, onboarding checklist now that we've never had in the past. So what's going to happen on day one? Well, you're going to get your core values and your other documents, you know, what's happened week one week, you know, week four week, you know, 15, you know, so on and so forth. That's been new. Um, but I think asking people to read books together, you know, we have a lot of basic books, uh, that, Hey, I want you to read this so you understand our culture and how we, you know, how we're going to grow, how we're going to celebrate together. Um, empowering others with we do weekly one-on-ones um in the last few weeks we've been falling off the rails a little bit but uh so you we do try- weekly one-on-ones you said yeah yeah okay how did how does that work like time when when you think about time and commitment for that um it's 10 to 15 minutes on average you know so it's a good we usually break it up we try not to do more than five one-on-ones per person so like my operations manager does five and i do five um like I said, in the last couple of weeks, we've fallen off the track. You know, we got to get pick ourselves put back on. But um, that's been a really good way to keep a pulse of like little things instead of waiting a year and doing a, some, you know, newfangled review. Well, how'd it go this year? You know, <laughs> um, we're trying to keep a more accurate pulse every week. Um, and that's been good. Uh, we have eight or nine questions, you know. Uh, what's your win for this week? Uh, what what tools and equipment would help you be better at your job? What stresses you out this week about work? And um, so, yeah, that's been a big help. Uh, and I think the daily touches, like not only do we have the morning meeting and afternoon, but, you know, one of us, either myself or Brian, try to walk the shop after break or after lunch or, or after afternoon break. And, hey, do you need anything? How can I support you? Also, the change of language. Uh, I noticed in the past, what do you need, you know, <laughs> versus <laughs> how can I support you today? Or what do you need to be successful today? Or how, wh- what's, you know, we also ask little transformative vocabulary questions like what's going to be your win at the end of the day? You know, when we come back at the end of the day, what, what win are you going to celebrate? Well, I'm going to have this project done and off my bench. So um, I think, you know, going out to dinner and doing all these company celebrations. And, and I know guys that do quarterly, you know, paid days where they take the whole team out and they go do some activity. I think that's amazing. We're not there yet. So we start small with the, just the, how can I support you? How can I feel, make you feel that when you come to our, our shop, our team, that you're supported and that we're not going to pull the rug out from underneath you. And that's a lot of our daily intention right now. And how does it look like as you look down, like size of your company, how do you, um, who does the hiring, you know, how has that been refined over the years? I do most of the hiring. We started doing, um, uh, do you know, Patrick Lencioni, uh, what is his book? Um, for those listening as Adam's looking behind him there, he has this amazing bookcase of all the books and he's a very good reader as you can tell. The, uh, not, um, oh, the ideal team player. I couldn't think of the name of the book. Sorry. Uh, Ideal Team Player. Have you read that one? I have not. I've heard oh. about it from a few people, though. So It's, it's a really simple – it's a fable-based. I really like fable-based books. It's really easy. Uh, we read it as a team a few years ago, but it's – they identified, um, like, hungry, humble, and smart. And it's, smart is emotional intelligence. And, you know, you want to be kind of ideally – if you're uh, too hungry and too smart, you're the skillful politician. If you're uh, hungry and um, – 
not smart, but you know, you're the accidental mess maker and you know, whatever they give all these examples of personality types. And so, uh, sorry, Brad, I forgot. What was the question? So <laughs> I, was, I, I was asking you like size of team and like hiring onboarding, like who's doing the training and how are you integrating them? Oh yeah. So in that book, they, they give a, a, a method of like how to like, um, get people around the same goal and same and same vision and that's what we're doing we're, we're trying to use those little techniques and tips and you know ask them interview questions and in the book they walk through like hey we have them interview with brian for an hour and then they go ride around to the job site with me for an hour and then they go the next day we do a working interview and they work alongside nick and and travis for a full day and they you know and we get a report from them and we got to see what their abilities are and yet again it's like the higher slow fire fast mm-hmm. we we probably should be doing a week interview you know i mean like think about it you know somebody can kind of pull the wool over your eyes for a few hours or a few minutes here and there um so i think we're still only scratching the surface but yeah working interviews um also asking different questions and not really like, well, if you were stuck in a car and you had to get out and trapped, how would you problem solve your way out of this? Well, that's fine. But like, we really want to know how they're going to work with other team members and how are they going to, you know, interact with their clients. And we want to scratch away at the surface and figure out the core values. You know, the, uh, the Venn diagram of, you know, if, if this is us and that's them, what, what are the overlapping core values that you know, we can agree on. So it's not oil and water the whole time. Well, I just want to do it quick, fast and cheap. Well, maybe <laughs> like, maybe we're not a good fit for each other. Yeah. Quick, fast and cheap. Yeah. I wish that we all want it that way. Yeah. So, so with the company, I mean, one thing I've seen as a challenge is onboarding. Um, something that we've really spent a lot of time trying to understand is the training onboarding and really give them a runway to be successful, right? Before we start dumping on them for lack of a better word what's your workaround how have you onboarded the talent you bring in um usually we you know pair them up with somebody else that's you know aligned with our core values and make sure that they're learning it the first weeks or months slowly is our goal um you know, I'm, I'm being honest here, I, I'm kind of really excited about the capacity report that you were sharing. I, I want to share with our team something similar, like, hey, look, this is this is where you're at. And that's what we've tried to do with onboarding checklist, but it's not graphically represented. And I think graphs or, you know, you know, pictures or images are so much better of like, look, this is how it's going to look in six months or a year. Um, I think we've also, I mean, we've only really kind of started flipping the script three or four years ago. Uh, you know, I was doing beating my head against the wall the same way for about six or seven years until I finally was like, oh, this is dumb. <laughs> and so some of this is still kind of its infancy for us. It's, you know, we've done uh, courses on how to hire the best and uh, coach approach and leadership boot camp and, and worked on implementing better language and more accountable language and removing, uh, minimizing vocabulary. But I don't know, there's still gobs and gobs of it to go. I, I think what some of the early wins are, I'm getting a little, a few more phone calls, or a few more emails from people that are finding us and they're going, hey, I want to work for you. I'm like, great. Why? Well, you have good Google reviews and we liked your social media. I love that little piece that you did two months ago on the back of this and that, you know, that little snippet you said about valuing, you know, craftsmanship. And, and so when, you know, you, when you 
advertise yourself more. And I don't mean just to stand on a billboard and go, we're great, come work for us. But when you speak daily to Instagram or you post on LinkedIn or, or when you share with your community or you go to events, you know, building science events, um, when you do those things, people start to see more of you and who you authentically are. And you're going to share that more with people that want to come work with you. So I think that's some of the basic steps we're doing right now. We don't maybe have all the structure and all the perfect onboarding checklist, you know, amazing yet, but just being transparent and honest is where we're going to get our next stride. So how, tell me this secret. So you've already announced how you get them onboarded, you know, to the company and doing such a great job. How in the world do you get the company to read, um, the books, right? That you're signing them. Cause you mentioned that as a company you read this and I'm like, okay, so what's that secret to success? Well, we've fallen off the wagon recently in the last year or two, but when we first started doing um, meetings, regular meetings, cause we had never done the first six or seven years, we would do a meeting sporadically just when we needed to, you know? And um, we started doing half hour meetings every day. And in that half hour meeting, we would read um, out loud as a team together. I mean, we read the Toyota way, which is, I don't know, 700 page book. It took us like six months, you know, 10 pages a day as a team, but we would read out loud and, uh, you know, COVID kind of disrupted some of our, or we allowed COVID to disrupt our schedule and flow and, and what was happening. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, now it's at the point of where some of our existing team members that have been here four or five years, uh, during those changes. Now the new ones, they, they're the ones reading the book and, and I you know, ask them questions like, hey, what would you enjoy out of the book? And so we probably should do more reading as, as a team, but um, we've read a, a enough to get us a very basic, you know, start at least. Well, that's something I need to work on with our team um, is figuring out how to do some reading challenges. I, I it, It's funny because one of my supers, he said, I, I want to figure out how we can do some competitions as a company. Um you know, nothing major, just like little things, you know, because our team's pretty competitive. So maybe this is what, you know, who could read the book first and then do a, Ooh, a report or something. That's interesting. I do yeah. have something kind of funny is, um, so, so you mentioned earlier, you have your core values and we have ours. So I spent some time back in January to really define and outline our core values. And there are quite a bit of them. I think we have 11. So um, there's quite a bit for us. And, and essentially, you know, for those that know AFT stands for a finer touch. So we had one for every letter, right? A finer touch. And then here's our core values. And so I didn't tell anyone, I just had like a hundred dollar bill in my pocket. And so at the production meeting, I was like on the spot, I'm like, who knows the core values. Right. And one of them stood up and said, actually I've memorized and said them all. And I said, here you go, hundred bucks. And it went like, you know, stood back like what? Like if we'd have known there were a hundred bucks, we would have done this. And so it's so it's funny, those little things that um, we could sometimes in encourage them to do, but then hopefully surprise them or, you know, maybe incentivize in some cases we have to. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, I've shown up at doorsteps before, you know, after a hard week of, you know, I buy the, the team member dinner or something, or we've, you know, uh, gotten them a cake, you know, or, or something, you know, just like, Hey, this is unexpected. We want to show you that we care. You know, we're not, uh, we're not here just to beat each other up all day long. <laughs> exactly. So now as you look back, um, on retention, you know, what has been your key to, to retain good employees? Being transparent, trying to be as honest as possible. Don't overpromise. You know, we don't have as many benefits or, uh, the best pay in the region yet. 
And so trying to lay out a plan of like, hey, when we do this, we'll get there, but you also have to do this to help us get there as a team. Um, I, we're still figuring that out. So I don't know if I would be a, a good resource for that, but stick into your core values and, you know, f- and we, we call them immutable laws is things that support our core values. So like fail forward. You heard me say that, uh, be the Buffalo. I don't know if you know that wives tale, but you know, what's be the Buffalo. I don't think I've heard so, that. So, um, I don't know if I have any proof to actually back it up, but apparently the, the tale is that, uh, a cow will run away from the storm, you know, put their head in the sand, so to speak. They'll run them, run and run away from the storm as the storm starts chasing them. They're running and running and running. And finally the storm catches up to them. And by that time they've expended all that energy running away from the storm. And that by the time the time the storm hits them, they're beat down. They're maybe won't make it through the storm. They don't have the energy to you know, weather that storm. Whereas a buffalo, they turn their furry face towards the storm and uh, they run right through it. And the thought is that it's a shorter duration. They don't have to you know, worry about weathering the storm for as long. And uh, Travis Brungart from Catalyst, uh, he always likes to correct me and say, it's actually the American water bison, not the buffalo. <laughs> but um, the, uh, the point is that, you know, the, the furry face, that's how they face the storm because that's where the most protection is. And they supposedly run through the storm. So it's a shorter duration. So uh, that's what we try to say is like, hey, we know this is a problem. We know we misstain this. We think it's off. Instead of just delivering it to the client, we're going to call them and say, hey, it's 10% off. We think we should tell you this. Uh, it may pass. It may not. We want you to see it because we know we've messed this up and it'll delay it for a day or two for us to make it right. Uh, but hey, we want to talk about this out loud because we know that when we just deliver something and run away, give them the taillight guarantee that it's going to come back and bite us. So that's kind of being the buffalo. Um, the uh, leave it better than you find it. That's self-explanatory. But you know, I really love how people take it to the extreme of like. Hey, I'm going to take my shoes off and I'm going to clean up the mess. And even though I didn't leave these crumbs here, I'm going to still going to vacuum it up because it was adjacent to my work area. Uh, you know, so leave it better when you find it. Be the Buffalo. Um, high five success. Uh, you know, the um, uh, high fives and gosh, I'm trying to blank on the others. We have I don't know, five or six different kind of sayings that we try to Im- imbue in our culture. I, lo- I love the Buffalo analogy because the the analogy is true, right? That essentially instead of exhausting yourself, you're going head at it, you're facing it, you're facing that difficult challenge and essentially leading right through it and probably exerting less energy by just addressing it and finishing it. And I've been a big proponent of that. I know you mentioned that early on in your career, it's the blinders. Maybe you're running, maybe not running from the storms, but essentially maybe there. And now you're just like, I'm going to attack them head on and, and just resolve them. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like you were at a, a small storm this morning. You, you had an issue you had to address. You went to the job site, you figured it out and it's and I'm here better. Yeah. And now you're here, you know, it's like you face a little discomfort and we all kind of like bristle that discomfort. But once you get through that discomfort, then you're better off on the end. And it's making that conscious choice to do that. And I think the more we talk about it as a community and the more we talk about, you know, business is not, roses and and you know uh happy songs all the time the more we talk about that and how there is options that we can support each other the better we're going to be as a community man i love that adam um i'm looking at the time i'm like this went by way too fast i think it's been felt like 10 minutes but you've been incredible so what do you do for fun 
Um, I love to get outdoors, but really a lot of my fun is with craft. I mean, I love building stuff. I love, you know, I built a shed recently and it's way too nice for a shed. Um, I, I, I've been working on our house for a long time. Um, and I love, you know, bringing my two boys to work with me. And occasionally we work on a small project. We build them a dresser or a bed or whatever. Um, I think getting outdoors is something I should do more of though, because uh, fresh air and, and I love to, you know, do kayaking and paddleboarding um, those kind of things. So, and then what do you have upcoming and exciting? Um, this next year, we're going to have uh, quite a few, I wouldn't say groundbreaking projects, but we're doing some really cool hardware that hasn't been done in our state or in our region before. And so, kind of implementing some of that and sharing those results, even though it's challenging and even though it's hard, uh, we love figuring out those things that uh, have never been done before. So, it's amazing. So, for those listening, to reach out to Adam, go give him a follow, um, ping him, especially with the success he's having. Where can they find you? Uh, contemporary underscore woods on Instagram. They can email me Adam at contemporarywoods.com or they can uh, get on our website and, and book a, a time to connect. Yep. And for those, I, I, I'm just reading the shirt here of Adam, you know, quality at the source. I am the source. So there you go. He lives it and breathes it. And Adam, you've been an amazing friend and colleague and uh, appreciate making time today. I appreciate you having me on, Brad. If you give value from the show, please support us by giving a five-star rating and review on whatever platform you listen to. And I also have a favor to ask. We've had some incredible guests that come on and share their wisdom, their knowledge about their business. So if you have friends or family members that could benefit from those episodes, please share it with them, as well as any other business owners that you're networking with that could get value from the podcast or certain episodes. Please share those as well. Again, subscribe, make sure you're following any questions that you have, topics. We've had uh, listeners reach out about certain guests that we should have on the show. Again, brad.l at aftconstruction.com. Email me for topics to address, guests that we should have on, and even if you think you'd be a great guest for the show. So again, thank you for all your support, and we'll see you next time.